Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as I said in my call to lament, these last several months have been excruciating. And now these last few days have been horrifying. And we ask, as the disciples did, I think, from long ago, what now? What next? We can rest in the idea that those early disciples and followers of Jesus, even after the resurrection encounters, were asking themselves those very questions. Honestly, I suspect we've heard this story of the wind and the flame of Pentecost many, many times. And I think we've heard it so many times that we've come to believe that the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church is all about celebration and victory and strength and deliverance. Well, let me just say a word about paradox. The title of my sermon is Pentecost paradoxes, so I want to make sure we fully understand what paradox is. So a paradox is a statement, proposition, or belief that seems self-contradictory, even to the absurd, but in reality expresses a truth. Now, what I want you to remember about Jesus is that Jesus taught in paradox. So, I mean, think of it this way. Remember, Jesus said, if you lose your life, you will find it. That's a paradox. It seems odd to lose our lives, and yet in losing our lives, we find it. And in fact, Jesus actually lived his life as a paradox, right? I mean, Jesus, Messiah, and This Jesus Messiah came to us to show us that that title was not about power and wealth and privilege and empire, but was about humility and grace and strength, even in the face of suffering. So as Christians... We who profess to follow Jesus, who were taught through paradox, who taught through paradox, are called to understand that it is a, it is precisely because of the coming of the promised Holy Spirit, and it is precisely that this Holy Spirit is the presence of the crucified and risen Christ that we should never expect for things be easy. In the cross of Jesus Christ, we see God's strength expressed through suffering. God's victory is achieved through defeat and new life pledged and provided through death. These are all paradox. The crucified and resurrected God we meet in Jesus Christ. And so we should look for no less from God's Holy Spirit. 
so the first paradox I want to share with you this morning, the first paradox of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit does not come to solve our problems, but to create them. Remember Jesus? Fresh from the water still dripping off of him from his baptism in the River Jordan. The scripture tells us is driven into the wilderness where he encounters evil. Fascinating, isn't it? And we have debated that passage of scripture forever. Think about it. Absent the coming of the Holy Spirit, the disciples would have just gone home. Maybe they would have thought of their journey with Jesus as just a a nice vacation where they got to learn some things and see some miracles and now they're back home and they are returning to their careers as tax assessor collectors and, and as fishermen. But let me tell you, once the spirit comes, that return to normalcy was no longer an option. And it shouldn't be an option for us either. Once the Holy Spirit comes to us, our idea of returning this world to normalcy today should be blown apart. These disciples will now be propelled into the world. They will share the good news of the gospel. They will talk about how God has redeemed the world through an itinerant preacher from the backwaters of Palestine who was executed for treason and blasphemy. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit does not solve the disciples' problems, but rather creates them. You know, today we have a lot of problems facing us. I don't know about you, but my stomach's been in knots all And and what I want to invite you to do is pick a problem. Pick a problem and commit to working to solve it. And perhaps I should say the same to our little church. Let us pick a problem and commit to helping to solve it. The New York Times columnist David Brooks recently challenged new college students to um, give up the American obsession with self-fulfillment and instead to find themselves in service to others, making and keeping what he described as sacred commitments. And by rising to the challenges they discovered all around them and outside of them. This is what Brooks said. Most successful young people don't look inside and then plan a life. They look outside and find a problem which summons their life. Most people don't form a self and then lead a life. They are called by a problem, and the self is constructed gradually by their calling. Maybe that's what we are looking at today. We are being called forth by the Spirit into problems and challenges and being called forth so that we may be recreated, that we may be made new. We will not actually discover who we really are until we give ourselves away. No amount of time developing a church mission statement or devising new member campaigns or stewardship programs will substitute for us looking around and asking, who needs us? 
and what can we do with our resources to bear God's love to the world. Which leads to the second paradox. The Holy Spirit doesn't prevent failure, but invites it. Now, I, I know this is all uncomfortable, but we need to hear this. The Holy Spirit invites failure, or, or maybe put it a different way. The Holy Spirit invites us to find our lives in and through our setbacks and failures. The only true failure is when we don't look at what we have done and figure out how to do it better. I know that in the wake of this SpaceX launch yesterday, I know that on Apollo 13, the mission control dictum was failure is not an option, but I want to I tell you that that mindset is paralyzing for us and for the church. Failure is not only an option, it is inevitable. And the problems of this world, and we have many facing us at the moment, are too great, too complex, too significant to imagine that we will hit upon our best solution the first time or the time after that or maybe ever. But if we are going to take the name Christian and profess that we are followers of Jesus, then we will have to be guided by the Holy Spirit at least to try, even if we fail. Let's take a lesson from the English teacher who said, I tell my kids to make a mistake every day, just not the same mistake. Each mistake, each setback, each false start, every failure that we have had in our lives is not to be dwelled upon, but to be reflected upon and to learn from. The truth is, we live in a world that is success-obsessed, so we forget this truth. We forget that God is the creator, sustainer, and redeemer of this cosmos. And only God can bring the kind of redemption that we long for and need. Our job is to partner with God's work wherever we can discern it. And our problem is we're not taking the time to discern it, to discover it, to ask the question of who needs us. The cross teaches us nothing else. It teaches us that success will not always look like success and victory may often come disguised. question isn't whether we're successful, but whether we're faithful. Or as Cornel West, African-American philosopher, political activist, social critic, and author once said, sure, it's failure, but was it a good failure? This perspective frees us to throw ourselves into lost causes, to place ourselves on the side of those who are vulnerable, to take great risks, and to dare great ventures. Why? Because we can trust that whatever the immediate results of our efforts, both our hopes and our future are secured not by our abilities, but by God's good promises. Resurrection, we need to remember, only and always follows crucifixion. So I don't need to tell you that right now we're in a Good Friday moment in our country. You know, this pandemic that has consumed us for months now has taken a back seat to the violence done 
against African-American people, and now the violence erupting on our streets. Well, I want to share with you a few words from my friend and colleague, Reverend Christine Tata, who is a UCC pastor. From her blog, A Few Words for White Christians. Our church, New Church Kies Nuova, United Church of Christ, is a predominantly white church. We have a few people who are African American and Latinx and others, but we are still predominantly white, as is the United Church of Christ. Now, I've added my own explanations, which you might imagine I will do. So um, I want you to hear these. And I'm speaking primarily to our white church and our Euro-American descendants. Let's stop pretending this outrage is new and we didn't know. When my father helped to liberate a German concentration camp in Germany. People of the village said, we didn't know what was happening. And his general, General Gavin, had the German people of that village carry the bodies and the dying out of the holes that they were living in and laid them out and made the local citizens walk by to witness what they didn't know. We cannot do that anymore. We cannot sit silently by and pretend we didn't know. Let us please stop saying things like, I don't see color, or I have a lot of black friends, because, frankly, that unveils and shows your latent racism. Let us please stop, stop pretending that we haven't sat back and said nothing, done nothing, risked nothing, because we've done just that. We've stayed silent. Let us please, as white Americans, contain our feelings. And this is directly from my friend, Reverend Christine Taylor, and it's beautifully written, and I want you to hear it. This is not our grief not our sorrow, not our lamentation. We will have our lamentations, certainly, and rightly so. Nobody gets through this life without drinking from the well of grief. But these are not our sons and daughters, our spouses and siblings, these martyrs of color. So stand aside and show respect. This is not our show. Today. And let us please finally repent the way we said and prayed that we would do. That we would repent of this sin, this original sin of the United States that is still living and breathing. Let's not just repent, let's repair. For example, Go to faithintexas.org, faithintx.org, and donate to the bail fund for protesters who are being arrested. Or, better yet, let's put out, pull out the 12 steps 
the 12-step programs for alcoholism and read them and pray over them and especially dwell on step number eight. We will make a list of all persons we have harmed and be willing to make amends to them all. You see, it's not enough for us to repent. We have to not only turn and go the other way, but we have to repair the damage in our wake. And here, I want to remind you that let's call, not email, not text, but call and talk to our friends, our African-American friends, and ask them how they are doing, and let them rage at us and at the world. Just let them talk. And if you don't have any friends of color, which you might ought to ask yourself why, then maybe call your white friends and talk to them about this and remind them of these things I have mentioned to you. My friends, today is the day of Pentecost. The disciples and the followers of Jesus on that first day of Pentecost when the fire erupted and the wind blew and the crowd gathered and there was commotion in the streets, could have stayed in the upper room in the comfort and safety of that space, but they didn't. They went out into the streets and began to talk to people, and you know what? They call that the miracle of Pentecost, that as they talked, all people began to understand each other. Can you imagine that kind of world? where we might talk to each other and understand each other, that would truly be a miracle in our day on this day of Pentecost. Yes, it was dangerous, and many of those disciples lost their lives, but you know what? They gained their souls. And so the question for us on this Pentecost Sunday is, are we going to stay in the comfort of our homes use the pandemic as a comfortable reason to do so and ignore the disruption of the Holy Spirit and risk failure. You know, uh, I know not everybody can go out in the streets, and I know, you know, I know it. But surely we should do something. If you can't protest, you can call people. You can sign up voters. You can send letters. You can call your African-American friends. You can call your white friends and demand that they listen to what you have to say. I know not everybody can protest, but we can give money to the causes that are making a difference in our world. So what's next for you and me? Today is the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us is with us still. Today is the day of Pentecost. Our God, the God of Jesus, the God of all creation, the God who breathed life into the church through the Holy Spirit is calling us out into the world. On that first day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came with wind and fire and all the people could talk to each other and understand each other It was called the miracle of Pentecost, and we have a chance to reenact that miracle today. And we can go into the world through the Internet in ways we could never do it individually. 
And we can go into the world and participate and stand with our sisters and brothers who are African-American and Latinx and other nationalities and other ethnicities. And we can stand with the poor and the hungry and the oppressed. And we can speak the grace of the gospel and live the grace of the gospel so that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved.